all about kicking back, relaxing, and enjoying the show. Take the time out of your day to listen to new music and the new sound of radio. Tune in every day, all day, for the greatest hits, latest news, and community events that you can be a part of. MoncoRadio.com, where music and minds meet. Hi everybody, it's Gene Simmons. You're listening to The Kiss Room on Monco Radio, but you knew that. That's right, KISS Army. You wanted the best, you got it. I am Matt Porter, and we are here in the KISS Room. It's the May issue of the KISS Room. Of course, anybody that knows the history of the KISS Room knows that KISS was going to come to Monco May 11th, 1974. I've always tried to bring KISS on campus. I want to thank everybody who tuned in again. Uh, Of course, I'm here in the KISS cave. We're not in the studio. I have... My wonderful wife, Amy Porter, she was thrilled that so many of you liked her commentary about worrying about the elderly for when talking about Paul Stanley. And of course, Madison Porter is here. She loves virtual school, going to all the great team meetings. What else you like? Zoom. Zoom, right? Of course, we're going to kick off this show. And I'm going to actually play a song for everybody out there who is sick of virtual meetings and people staring at you through your computer screen because it really feels like they are watching you here in the Kiss Room on Monaco Radio where music and minds meet. You don't really know what to do. 
Kiss Army, we are back, and I am joined right now by filmmaker, rocker, and Kiss Army member, Andrew Scambatti. Andrew, welcome back to the Kiss Room. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I mean, after an intro like that, I, uh, I I better have something good to say. So thank you for uh, for having me. Well, you know, also, you're one of the few guests that I've had that has actually been in the Kiss Room. You've actually been to our studio in Monaco. And right now, obviously, we're all none of us can go to the studio in Monaco, but uh, you've been there. So it's uh, you've had that experience in your life. It was cool. You know, that whole weekend was really cool for people who don't know. I came in to do that right before I screened my first fan film, The Greatest Show on Earth at a theater in Long Island in conjunction with a with a Kiss tribute band. So uh, it was a cool weekend. I wasn't really loving the construction and the traffic around the college after the show, <laughs> but everything else was cool. You know, and it's funny that you'd mentioned that. So that was the last time that we had really talked, and then which brings us to your latest project, which is called One Last Time, and we will follow one fan's journey through this end of the road. And... Fortunately for me, I was lucky enough to see Kiss twice on this end of the road tour. You document really seeing them like seven times. And uh, so for for people that aren't aware, first of all, I'm going to say I've seen this and it's going to be unleashed very soon for fans. It is the best thing that Kiss hasn't released yet. It's amazing. Your your skills on it, the editing, the way you have weaved a story with your own story, with footage that exclusive footage it's amazing and i you know talk about how the project got started there's a lot of things it's packed this this project is packed with with footage and music and some really special moments what's cool about this is this is something just like all of my other stuff it's been in the works for a really long time and um i, I don't know if we talked about the initial uh, the the initial um i guess the initial version of the greatest show on earth where it was, it wasn't going to be a period piece. It, the greatest show on earth was going to be the 1977 kiss story, but it was also going to be my story because that was the kiss that I was introduced to via kiss meets the phantom of the park. So the original version of the greatest show on earth had all this footage of me as a kid and talking about how I got into the band and blah, 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 and all this stuff. But after I watched it, I realized I'm doing a disservice to not only my story, doing a disservice to the kiss story. So I made it a, a, a period piece talking about only Kiss. So I had all this footage that I had found on old videotapes, footage of me as a kid and all these pictures and all the stuff. So I was like, what am I going to do with this? I, I want to do something with this. I just don't, I don't know what, what I want to do with it. So um, soon, soon, uh, soon later, the end of the road tour was announced, and I knew that I was, wanted to be on the I, – I wanted to see the tour as many times as I could. So um, I ended up shooting all this footage, and I was like, I – it was just me just capturing moments. And after a bunch of shows, I realized I had all this footage. And I was like, what if I did something with this and made it like a like a like a 10 minute video diary? Talk about how I saw the band in Cleveland and Columbus and, and at the time Grand Rapids. It's like, what if I just did that? And then I was like, ah, you know what? That's I again, I'd be doing a disservice to what I've done. So I was like, I just I there wasn't any great ideas that were grabbing me. It just so happened that that same weekend, I uh, I was in a record store and I saw Iron Maiden Flight 666 on Blu-ray. And I was like, oh, I had this on DVD, <laughs> but let me get it on Blu-ray. I saw it, and it wasn't the first time that I had seen it because it came out in 2009. And I watched it, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. I was like, what if there was a Kiss version of this? And it sort of got my wheels turning. I go, well, I have all this footage of me as a kid, 
and all this footage of me from the end of the road. What if I took somebody through the end of the road? Like I showed them my journey as I was going to all these different shows and getting into Kiss, but also putting Kiss in the forefront. And I was like, well, how am I going to do that? And I was like, well, easy. I'll show a great concert from Kiss live at Madison Square Garden. And then it started taking shape. I was like, okay, this is cool. This is this is excellent. And I know when you're creating something, you're not just supposed to add. You're supposed to work with what you got. But one of the last pieces I added was the band story. And I found these great interviews from the band when they were really hyping up the end of the road tour starting. And I just weaved all these different stories together where Kiss gets their time. I get my time, but then you also see Kiss live as well. So you have these you have these three stories, you know, basically interweaved with each other that are telling you why it's so special being a Kiss fan. Well, you know, I think it, you set the tone right at the start. We come right out with the footage of New York City. They're blasting through Detroit Rock City. And then as you're introducing them, their names are coming up on the screen. We see that shot of you as a child, and it's got you on there. And right away, it tips viewers off. This is something different. And, and I really, I thought, wow, that's great. Like that was, and especially knowing you when the way you weaved in, here's Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and Andrew Scamatti. And it was just like, and there's that shot of you as a child. And I thought, wow, that really just, it's, it sets the stage for what's to come. And then the thing that, a couple things that struck me right off the bat. One, the footage looks incredibly clear. Like clearly it's a lot of kind of handheld different access, you know, of footage. But the footage looks fantastic. The The live footage looks and sounds great. Everybody has a camera in their pocket now. So people right. just shot stuff. That's where it came from. <laughs> well, that's what I, and that's one of the things that I really, and I know that you are familiar with this because we've talked about this a lot. But it reminded me of... The days when we would go into those conventions, which I know you have great love for those as I do, and you would see those collections of what we call bootleg footage. And people would huddle around the the camera, you know, a TV, and you couldn't wait to find some nugget of something you hadn't seen before. And like you'd find those super comps where there'd be, a, you know, a news clip from, and then these four guys flew in on, you know, on a plane, and it's, you know, it's that, and you'd find these little snippets, and you've managed to capture that feeling because you have news clips, you have a short little bit of a news clip from here, or it's a press conference there. And the way that you've used that, to me, it felt at, at some time almost nostalgic, you know, like because it, it had that feeling of finding all these little nuggets in one place. And then obviously you weave in your own home movies. There's your old photos, which are fantastic. You know, we see you really as a young Kiss fan. You talk about your first bootleg, which was the 1977 Madison Square Garden, which I think really helps to drive home. A lot of this story starts with seeing them at Madison Square Garden, either in 1977 all the way up to 2019. I'm, I'm glad you got that because that was one of the last things that I added. I knew I wanted to do something that called out the current Madison Square Garden show from 2019, but also looked back on the 1977 show and how special that really was. What's cool about that 1977 show is that this Madison Square Garden didn't have an in-house video crew kind of like Largo, Maryland or Cobo Hall did. Kirby right. Kelly was actually hired to film that show because Kiss knew the historical significance that they were actually playing the garden. So as a kid, and I think this was probably 1997 or 1998, 
when I saw, oh, Kiss, Madison Square Garden Live 1977, I didn't realize that they were on the Rock and Roll Over Tour in the beginning of 77, and then the Love Gun Tour didn't start till June. I didn't realize that. So for me, when I picked up that tape, I, was, I thought it was the Love Gun Tour. So I took it home. I was excited. And I was a little disappointed. I was like, oh, well, it's, it's these costumes. Nothing against them, especially now. But at the time, I was like, man, the Love Gun, that's, that was my favorite. That was Kiss at their zenith. That's the first thing I saw. So that was the first tape I ever got. And I still have that same VHS tape that I got that day at the convention. Nice. And that's kind of what started this whole thing because I was like, man, this is this is cool. You know, I, I obviously wasn't alive back then. So the only way I could see it was by getting, <laughs> these, by getting these videotapes. And you're right. My favorite part about those conventions was going to the bootleg table and saying, oh, cool. What do they have? Right. Do they have the show that I was at? You know, Can it's I actually, buy that show? It's actually funny because I was talking the other day with my friend Ben Harvey, who is the station manager of Monaco Radio, and he's a young guy discovering Kiss. And so we always talk about you know different shows and things like that. And he said to me, what is the best bootleg you can find? And, and I had to laugh, and I even when I was talking to him, the idea now, there's so much available on YouTube or, or wherever that that idea of bootleg, almost it's, it's funny. And as you mentioned, you know, everybody's walking around with a camera. So like half the people are leaving a show with different snippets of footage. We're back, you know, and I think when we refer to bootlegs, it was the stuff you couldn't find anywhere else. And, and then you found it, like you said, that VHS tape. It's making me smile because I think about the stack and stacks of VHS tapes that were like you couldn't believe oh my god look at this footage and some of it was that handheld you know shaky but you'd watch it anyway for that one hey he sang a different word right there Peter forgot that line or you know and and everyone would know it and it was just uh, you know it, it's funny that like that that 1977 bootleg being your first one how it does play into the story i mean even like the fact that you've got like reunion tour footage and and really it does shape the kiss story to everything that's going on today based on a lot of it visually things that were very much the touchstone moments of the last bunch of years and and you managed to capture that yeah what what was cool is i i'm a little bit younger than you so my i didn't get to experience kiss until the reunion tour certainly i was a fan when i was a young kid but i was just i knew just the past kiss i wasn't like you know a five-year-old kid going oh i got to get revenge that just wasn't how <laughs> that, that just wasn't what it was um so for me, it, it was when the band came back in 96, that was my first experience to, to getting with the band and being able to see the band. So I knew I had to include footage from there because that's still my favorite era of the band. And you have the history, really like you have some of the early, I think it is the earliest footage of the band. That's in there. It really does, what you've put together really does give you the history kind of from the start to the finish, which I think is amazing. And I think Kiss fans from every era will totally be excited about. But then you also have footage that nobody would have seen really from your own camera. And you could, and I know when we've had you on before, you've talked about that you did work for Gene Simmons himself, Moneybag Soda. You had access backstage the fact that he says, hey, Paul McCartney, you know, he recognizes you and he calls you that a couple times, which I thought was hysterical. I was glad so that I got this, that on film. Yeah. And there's the, there's these great moments that you have captured that are your moments weaved in. Like, you know, you're at that Melt pre-party 
and you have footage of you rolling a Gene Simmons vault up the, the walkway, which I thought was incredible because we're really going behind the scenes. And then we see Adam Perkins actually win that. And that's somebody else I know just from Facebook, a really cool Kiss fan. And you have and he hugs the vault and he hugs you. And I, I thought that was great. And the edit on that right at the end where it goes, he raises his arms up in victory and you go in to say, yeah. And it's like, yeah. And I, I actually laughed out loud. I thought that was actually really, really well done. The funniest part about that is you see when he hugs me, he, well, I go in for a handshake. He gave me a hug. I was like, wait a minute. I don't like you that much. It was cool. Adam was one of those people that I knew was coming to the party. And he's someone that I've, he lives maybe 30 minutes from me, but him and I live you know, uh, we live very different lives. He's a he's a real estate agent, and I'm a I'm a mortgage banker. So we're always very busy. But I see him at all these different Kiss events. For him to win that was was really cool. And you remember when we were doing that vault giveaway? I said that as anyone listening to the Kiss Room won, and I would have hand delivered it to the Kiss Room. <laughs> I was glad I didn't have to do that because I, you know. I didn't want to have to carry that thing. I mean, that thing was shipped to my house, and I can imagine the UPS driver probably hated me that day because he had to pull that thing uh, up to my porch, and it was it was terrible. So I had to drag that thing all the way out to melt, and then I had to push it up the the ramp to get it in there. So uh, yeah, it was it, it was cool that that it went to him. I th- and it was a lot of fun that you had that captured. It actually, it's funny. I think in the age that we're in now where everybody can be kind of connected via social media or whatever. There's a lot of footage in this project where you're scanning the crowd and you recognize people. You go, oh, I recognize that person. I recognize the person. You know, and, and it's funny how, in a way, you know, you've captured that vibe of the Kiss Army with shots like that. You know, when you see somebody like that, that you know, you said he lives close to you, but I, I really just know him via, you know, social media. But it was fun to see that. But even things like, you know, there's that shot where you're getting footage right next to Gene as he's signing the money bag, you know, uh, boxes. And he's cracking up with you and you crack him up. And there's that great shot where he turns and looks right into your camera, kind of like, I think he even says like, oh, you're trying, everybody thinks they're the star. Everybody's trying to upstage me or something. I can't remember the line. But such a unique little moment, you know, for you. And I think if you know, Eagle Eye fans will notice that uh, those are A&E's cameras that are on the other side of Gene, that they're shooting for the A&E special. Right. So, who, who, li- listen, if it makes it in there, that would be so cool. But at, at, the, at the same time, it's just cool that, that I was able to capture those little moments. I mean, there's there's tons of other stuff that, that I had shot, you know, all around the, the tour that just didn't work. That just there wasn't a place for it in there. It, it would have been jarring to just see, oh, well, this footage is in there just because it's it's cool footage. I, I wanted to make sure that if I was including something in there, it had a purpose or it had a reason or, well, nice, or it forwarded the story. And the nice thing is it goes back to it ties in your story as part of their story. And I think that was one of the things that kind of struck me was, you know, you start out clearly the with this project as someone who is a fan and, you know, you're a young, young kid in the start of this with your footage, you know, and photos. And then there you are working with Gene. And I think that was one of the things like to me. And I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to give it away if it's like a spoiler part of the movie. But one of the nicest parts of the movie is where you're talking and there's that great snapshot of you hugging Gene Simmons. And you say something to him to the effect of like he's signing your vault, isn't he? Is that is that the moment in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yes. And and you say what did you say to him at that moment? 
Well, him and I, we were at the time that that was that that happened. His mother was still alive at the time, so we were both because my my mother had passed away in two thousand seven. So we were mm-hmm. we were kind of sharing different stories about that, and um, he 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 was signed involved. And there's I I edited it down a little bit because it it went on for a long time, and I, I just didn't want to have anybody sit through that. So he was sign he he was signing, and then he kind of stopped signing, and he he looked at me, and then he went to give me a fist bump, but he realized that he goes, oh, I can't. So then he he pulled me in for like this big hug. So and it was cool, and that's and the picture was the. I mean, you saw the picture there, but it was my Facebook yep. picture. I don't even know how long, but uh, <laughs> it, it captured that moment where he was like, "Hey, um, I give everybody fist bumps," but uh, you know, he wanted to, to bring me in for a hug. So and it was cool. It was a it was a, a really really cool moment, and I'm glad that it was not only captured via a picture, but it was also captured on video. And the fact that in a lot of ways it brings this very full circle, kind of a you know, you're starting as a fan. But there you're having this moment with him. And that was one of the things that I thought was, you know, it's a very kind of personal moment. And I think you were very fortunate to have been able to get like backstage and and work with him. And did it change the way you felt like once you start to see somebody as a real person, you know, that you see them on a regular basis or you see them up close? did, Did it change the way you felt at all about someone that I think a lot of us have tried very hard to keep as this superhero larger than life, but you're having a very warm moment with him. Well, I'll tell you something right around when I purchased my vaults, this is before all the stuff happened. This is before, you know, I, I hung out with him that day. I had to buy him pants that day. This is before all, all this stuff. happened. <laughs> but as I was getting the vault, I was listening to different interviews of him and I was like, man, I was like, you know what? I'm a big Gene Simmons fan. Because for years I was a huge I was a huge Ace Frehley fan, Eric Carr fan, Eric Singer fan, Peter Chris fan, but around that time it was like you know what I'm a huge huge Gene Simmons fan. So going into that knowing that I get these eleven CDs of unreleased material and I get to to see him and all that stuff, so it just it it made me view the band differently. And then I kind of went back and I started watching Family Jewels, and I was like, man, this show is great. All it is is a half hour of everybody making fun of the guy. So. <laughs> It, it it was cool. It just it made me a bigger, it made me a bigger Gene Simmons fan. So and then then you see him and they're like, you know, whenever we go to a show, he always puts us you know close to the stage on his side. And then he'll always spot us. And then he'll like he'll do like a silly wave or something or pretend like he's chewing gum. Or there, there was one moment where he was like, you know, he was playing and then he just kind of like waved. He kind of waved at us. It completely broke character. And I thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> well, and he probably yelled, "Hey, Paul McCartney!" But the. Uh... You know, I yeah, I think that's a really that's about halfway through the movie and I really think it does it's a very special moment because I think it it just shows your own journey more than almost anything else from literally being a young kid fan to actually interacting with the band and 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 to get to the level when to see this project they really need to just slap official on it and put it out, and it's the it's the best thing Kiss hasn't released yet. Uh, the story that you tell, the footage that you have, the editing that you've done—it's a rapid pace. You know, you're going from song to song. I, you know, I was even laughing some of these things, like you know, where Paul Stanley is talking about, like you know, I was made for loving you, and he's like, oh, and you know, this we're at a heavy metal, and then you were gonna kill your mother. Like they're making fun of like kind of being at those. Uh, you know, kind of metal fest. Then Gene goes, then I'm the demon. And, and then do, do, do. And it's funny the way that, and then you go right into the song 
it was cracking me up. And, and it was just, I thought the way you've told the story is fantastic. It, it never lets up. It's this fast paced edit. And, you know, you've got reunion tour footage. You got Kiss Symphony footage. There's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame footage. There's the unplugged. There's that hysterical behind the scenes unplugged thing. I was going to I was going to mention that because that's my favorite part of the movie. You know, we're all stuck <laughs> at, we're all stuck at home right now. So, you know, I'm working from home. I'll just throw a couple DVDs on to have just some background noise. And, I, you know, in fan circles, there's three DVDs of unplugged rehearsal footage that circulates. I've never right. watched it because who's going to sit down and, and just watch Kiss rehearsing? There's a lot of downtime. <laughs> There's a lot of downtime in these DVDs where they're just kind of walking around and someone's there with a camera. So on the third disc, probably about an hour into the third disc, they like Tommy Thayer shows up and, and, and all this stuff and they just start cracking on Tommy Thayer. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to I have to use this footage because especially when Paul is is walking like Tommy Thayer. I mean, there, there's a whole part where, uh, where it was it was Gene was walking like Tommy at first, but you you couldn't hear it as well. And when Paul does it, and he's like, yeah, it's like he's got a tail back there. It's like he's wiping a fart away that he just cut. And, and I showed it to someone who was like, hey, it's really funny because it's actually really true. That's exactly how the guy walks. So it it was funny and uh, and and it's things like that that I hope that give you a little peek behind the curtain because not a lot of people have seen stuff like that, uh, and, right. and and it's it's about humanizing, it's about humanizing the band, and to have Tommy talk about that you know he just did whatever he could and you you see him editing Kiss videos and you see him with Doc in '97. I don't think people realize that Tommy had been around as long as he had been. People just thought that he was like a gopher for the band before he joined. But Tommy's been involved with the band since probably 1987. And and obviously he worked on the history book and he worked on the second coming video. But this is this is he's been he's paid his dues tenfold. And uh, to see Tommy up there is is really cool. It's a he's a fan that got to be in the band. You know, and it's funny because I think in a way, kind of going back to that idea of humanizing the band, you don't think about, I think, I mean, I think it's easy to forget that it could be four guys in a room just jamming like every other band on the planet because you always see this very polished kind of, you know, presentation of Kiss. I think it's what has kept Kiss so alive is the fact that they always appear to be larger than life. So when you see them in like a little rehearsal hall, or something like that where they're goofing on each other, not being professional. Like, I love it when the, there's a couple interactions even that you've included where, you know, Gene talks about, well, I made your first pair of pants. And Paul's like, yeah, I remember those. And, you know, you think about those early days of Kiss, and here we are, you know, as they say at one point, Paul Stanley even says, look, it's like 50 years. And I thought one of my favorite quotes was he says, People say, is the end of the road bittersweet? And he goes, no, it's all sweet. It's been great. And I mean, obviously, at some point, obviously, they've they've had ups and downs. And there's things that they look back on that maybe they wish they hadn't done. But it's been such an amazing ride. And I think you really have been able to capture something that, you know, we see personal points of view from them and also all the way up to all the very kind of polished it's the end of the road and we wear more makeup and higher heels than your mom and you know it's uh but you did it it's fantastic and i think fans are going to love to see this i i really hope and and when can they see this and where can they see this do you know because i know so i think you know we won't tease them any longer if you're listening live to the kiss room you know that coming up very soon 
May 15th, I believe, yes? Yes, that is correct, May 15th. And I, you know, one of the mistakes I made with The Greatest Show on Earth is I was promoting the thing for like two months, and I think people got sick of it. So this one, I was like, right. I'm just going to talk about this two weeks before the release. So uh, I really started hyping up everything on May the 1st, and it'll be out May 15th. You could stream it on YouTube and Vimeo. So completely free. And again, just like my previous works, there's going to be no downloads. There's going to be no you can't buy the disc. You, you can't do any of that stuff because this this is by of the fans and by the fans. So I, I want to make sure that I'm not bootlegging the band. I'm not making money off this. This is just something that fans can look at for entertainment. And hopefully it gets to the band. And uh, that's that's all I can hope for. I think right off the bat, I mean, obviously anybody listening to the Kiss Room, the most hardcore Kiss fans are the ones listening. They're going to love this. I loved it. I sat here and look. I'll be the first one to tell you the last couple, like the last month, we're about we're over 50 days in here of this stay at home and and this and that and virtual meetings and and man, it can be a, such a drag, but it was such a fun time to sit here watching that video with it very loud and you know it's always been the thing that has managed to melt away my problems is watching some Kiss, cranking it up, getting it in your head. And you know what? This really does it. And I think it's going to come along when a lot of people are needing to just have something to sink their teeth into. It's an hour and a half just about of really great times. And I really, for one, I, just as a fan, I want to thank you for putting it together. It's amazing. I, I think, you know, and, and I, I can't really even stop without saying at the very end, when it fades out and the credits come up and it just says like, it's for your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing you, it put tears in my eyes. She would have loved it. And, and the fact that I know she took you as a child to see kiss and to the expos, it put tears in my eyes when I saw that. And it was, and I, I mean, maybe it's cause emotionally I'm shot right now. This whole quarantine thing has me really riled up, but it was, it really, the emotion of that and the fact that it is such a personal thing, your journey, but also everybody else's, it, I, that was, it was a really special spot in the movie. Now, did you stay till the absolute end credits? And I like that at the end where he's uh, Gene's still ripping on you after the credits. It's funny. You know, the, uh, it, the things like that that you've managed to capture, it's funny how, like, you know, people rip on, you know, uh, what it costs to meet and greet them and how, you know, this and that and the other. You've managed to have a very unique vantage point and, and captured a lot of that for us to share, which I think is fantastic. I mean, the, uh, the fact that we can get kind of inside and hear him joking with you and, uh, you know, it's nice. The best thing I wasn't able to capture um, when I was originally working on those money bag commercials, I did, I think, three or four where it was just music and, and, and no voiceover or anything like that. But he wanted one with a voiceover that was going to be playing on the Kiss Cruise that year. I think this was 2018 Kiss Cruise. I think 2018. Yeah. Uh, so he wanted one with a voiceover in there. So, of course, I was like, all right, well, I just I put an effect on my voice and I, and I did the voice myself. So he calls me at, at my my nine to five job one day and he goes, Hey, I like this part and change this part and do that and change this and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, cool. No problem. And then he goes, uh, I have one last question. And I was like, yeah, he goes, uh, who's the voice in the, <laughs> in the commercial? And I was like, well, I was like, Gene, it's me. He goes, Oh, it's you. He goes, well, I'm sure the women like your voice and probably the men too, but I hate it and you have to change it. <laughs> And I was like, right on. I was like, no problem. I will change that right away. 
and and that's what I did. I ended up uh, there was a radio uh, DJ who I knew from Myrtle Beach. He and his voice ended up being on there. But uh, it was just funny that I have these moments with Gene where he's where he's he's a he's a human guy. And uh, it, it's funny. I mean, there's there's there was stuff that I wish I captured on video where we're driving to one of the one of the events and, and him and I in the car and uh, he's we're talking about our favorite Tom Hanks movies. And I go, well, my favorite Tom Hanks movie is that thing you do. He looks at me and he's like, you like that movie? And I was like, yeah, I was like, it's a great movie. He goes, well, I hate that movie and I hate you for liking it. And I was like, OK, right on. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of stuff, it's great. I mean, it's funny because I think that is, as a KISS fan, it is, you forget sometimes, I mean, luckily I think you forget sometimes that they are just regular guys. They're, you know, without the talisman, they're just ordinary people. But <laughs> it's, you know, the, uh, you know, and it, it's, I think it's fun and you manage to squeeze some of that in to this final product and, I, and it comes across, which is, uh, you know, is great. And I, the one thing I would ask, just on a technical, are you editing on this on Adobe Premiere? Of course, of course. I'm using and it's a, a Premiere and After Effects and what? Um, it's it's Premiere, After Effects, and Photoshop. So all the titles were done in Photoshop, which is very cool because if if I see something that I don't like, I go into Photoshop, I fix it, I save it, and it automatically just brings it over right into my project file. So I don't need to re-export or redo anything. So I'm doing everything in Adobe products. So I can't say enough good things about the Adobe Cloud. And if you don't have it and you're an editor, get it. I mean, there are people that are saying, oh, well, you got to get Final Cut because it's really made for the Mac. And I was like, yeah, but the learning curve between the two, because I learned on Adobe Premiere 20 years ago. And I had a brief love affair with Final Cut 7 before they changed the user interface right. to Final Cut 10. Yeah. So I had a, 10 is terrible. 10 is terrible. So I had just this brief time where I used Final Cut 7. And then I was like, ah, there's just things that I can't do. I mean, so I, I, I absolutely love Adobe's Adobe products and I will use them until I can no longer edit. So, um, but it's cool. It, it's cool. And, and it's funny. So there are a couple people that I've done, you know, shows with like, like yourself, um, that, that are coming out in the coming weeks. And there are people that I've talked to and they're always like, Hey, this is, this is great. This is great. But what's next? And I was like, what, right. what do you, what do you mean? I was like, this one's not even out yet. Right, and right. we're talking about the next. Uh, but I think a, a nice break is what's next for me. Uh, it's been it's been amazing. I've been working on stuff since probably 2007. I did the original Greatest Show on Earth, and I did Kiss at Midnight. Then I went back and redid Greatest Show on Earth, and then I've been working on this. So it's been nonstop since 2017. And um, yeah, maybe a little break is in order. Shut the computer off for a little bit and just have a little break. Well, and the hard work shows through. I mean, obviously, anybody that watches this. And anybody that knows anything, we're talking about editing gear, but anybody that knows anything about editing, you put a lot of work into this, and it really does show. And I think, um, you know, it's funny, especially now in this, as we sit here looking and going, like, when will the last show be? You know, they took off that. I, I'm pretty sure the countdown just disappeared from Kiss Online. And I think everybody's looking at each other going, I don't know if we're going to have these kind of experiences again. The kind of things you've documented in here, we might have seen the last show on the end of the road. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. And it's it's really, it's, uh, you know. Yeah, no one no one knows. I mean, we're in such uncertain times right now. But it's just about just looking back and appreciating, you know, what we've been able to see. So, you know, for, for, for me as a KISS fan, what I hope to get out of this is I hope someone makes their own one last time. I want to see their right. story. I want to see someone put something cool together that I can watch and I can enjoy. And because I know there are other people out there that, 
experienced things similar to me. You know, maybe there's some person who bought a front row ticket and they shot their journey getting into the front row. I mean, there there was footage that I found that again, there was no real no place for it in the movie, but there was footage I found where someone is shooting the opening of the Jacksonville concert, you know, on my birthday, and you and you clearly see me stand up, and <laughs> and I was like, I, I wish I could have included that, but it. it there was no place for it. I mean, I talk about Jacksonville a little bit, but they're just, unless it was going to be me like narrating what the footage was, nobody was going to know or care what it was. So that's not in the movie, but there are things that I was able to find where like, Oh, Hey, there I am. You know, it, it's, it's, it's very, very, very cool. But hopefully someone listening, maybe I, I could put this, this call out there. Uh, there, I was able to go to the acoustic meet and greet in 2016 at uh, Mohegan sun I'm hoping somebody videotaped that because there was there there was a moment in there where like the whole band kind of stops playing it and Eric looks at me and Eric goes, Andrew, why is your hair blue? <laughs> and and I, I hope somebody videotaped that. Um I was able to get Eric, you know, you know, calling me. That was at the Niagara show in 2017. So I'm hoping that someone shot the Mohegan Sun show and I could have that. I looked for it online because I wanted to put that in the movie really bad. Well, you know, look, I think anybody listening and when they see this one, you know, this project, your project could easily be, if it can inspire somebody else to create their story on video, to create a project like this, it would be fantastic. Um, anybody listening, watch this movie and be inspired. It will remind you why you love going to shows and why you've always been a KISS fan. That's, I really, it, it's that level, what you've managed to capture is that level kind of stuff. And you didn't even see the final cut. <laughs> no, I'm looking at a rough cut. So it's like, it's, you know, it's funny. It's just uh, that little ghost kept popping up in the bottom corner. But the, uh, you know, it really is, it's one of those, it's, you did it. And I really appreciate you sharing it. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Uh, is there any last minute things you'd like to say for your KISS Army friends all around the planet. Listen, if you if you like that, even if you just like it a little bit, the best thing you can do, share it, tell everybody you know. And if you really love the film, go and buy a shirt on Kiss Online and send a message to the band. Say, hey, I watched this really great fan film and I, I want to support the band. So here I am. I'm going to buy, you know, a gold record. We could really send a message to the band that this is the kind of stuff that we want. I'm not saying that this is going to be an official product or this is going to have some credence in, in the Kiss world. But I'm saying if, you know, this is one of those things that it's not about bootlegging. It's not about selling DVDs. It's not about any of that crap. It's it's about remembering why we love the band. So if you love this, go and support Kiss and or go and buy a Kiss album. So and and I'm hoping that because I've taken that stance in all of my releases, that that's kind of why no one has shut me down yet. <laughs> not to say that they won't, but it hasn't happened yet. You have captured the joy of being a Kiss fan in this movie. One last time, it's uh, following one fan's journey. That fan is Andrew Scambati, and I really do appreciate you joining us here in the Kiss Room again. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and uh, thank you so much for the kind words about the film. And if you want to say it, you can say it. We're on Mako Radio. Where music and minds meet.
And we are back in the Kiss Room. That was Andrew Scambati talking about his latest film called One Last Time, his journey through the end of the road. And right now, I am joined by my brother, Anthony Porter from Three Core Money from the Kiss Room house band. Welcome back to the Kiss Room. Well, thanks. I am so glad to be here. It's nice to talk to you, of course. I'm glad we can virtually do this. And and that was fun. Did you get a chance to hear that interview with Andrew? I did. I think that movie will be outstanding. He's such a good filmmaker. He has so much passion for the for the material and the group. You can tell. Uh, and the last one, which was called uh, uh, The Greatest Show on Earth. Greatest Show on Earth, right. The one with the Arthur Treacher's commercial. That's the part. <laughs> I love that one. It's so It really puts you back there with the band and the love of the band. And I, I remember when that one came out, it kind of blew up the internet. So I'm sure this one will too, you know? It's great. Yeah, like I, I said to him in the interview, I really think it is the greatest thing they haven't released yet. Uh, Kiss should just put official and just put it out. It's really, uh, it, I've been lucky enough to see even just a work print, but it really, it's fantastic. Everybody's going to love it. So Totally agree. Totally agree. Probably the only two people on the earth that won't see it is Gene and Paul. Every other Kiss fan will see it. <laughs> I hope they see it too, but you know, everyone else is going to see it. It'll get shared out there 11 billion times. It's real fun. The last one was so much fun. I think it really makes everybody, oh, yeah, I remember that. Or, you know, especially KISS fans of a certain age that really, uh, especially that last one, which was a lot of those early footage and stuff where you go, oh, my gosh, I remember that. But you were eight, <laughs> you know, at the time. <laughs> so now, obviously, we had a good time talking with him about his latest project. And I, and I wanted you to come on and talk about new music from Three Chord Money. Tell us what's going on. Well, we have... Uh, a new single, a new Three Chord Money single should be on Spotify by May 11th, which is called, the song's called You and the Moon, which it was originally supposed to be on Spotify on the 20th of, uh, of, of April, but then everything gets pushed back because of this. So, you know, you, I don't get too worked up about it, but yeah, it's, so it should be on May 11th everywhere on your Spotify and stuff. So it's new music. It's actually, it pertains to the Kiss Room because we recorded at Monco in the studios at Monco before all this. I mean, it, we, it's not it's not a it's not like a hot off the presses song, but we, it was a project for the school, and it came out so great. I mean, and the facility at Monco is so good that we so we got done the song. And it's like, well, you know, we should put this out as a single. It came out really great. So it's just another thing. Shout out to Montgomery County Community College recording programs and all the wonderful kids that do the work there. Uh, David Ivory, who works, you know, he's the, the teacher of that whole thing. It, this is great. So pretty excited to get that out to everybody. I think we, I actually think we've played the song on the Kiss Room already or a version of it. I think we have played it. Obviously, we love to promote the great things that are happening at Monco, where we talk about the fact that there's this awesome recording studio and we've been able to have three chord money come in a couple times. You've been somebody's homework a couple times, which is awfully nice of you and, and have come up with even some, uh, we played, uh, the new, the track that you wrote on our way to Nashville, that was part of the kiss room demos project. So I love sharing the music out. I think it's great fun. And I think people will love this song. It really, if we're in the room. I need Bobby to get an A with Uncle A. <laughs> get an A with Uncle A. That's Bobby. That's the yelling that goes on. When we're actually in the, in the room together. I love Bobby. I, I really miss everybody. I miss seeing I know, everybody. Me too. In the room. I know we all do. I try not to say that, but you know, it, that's my favorite thing is getting in the room with people and you kind of yell and you hug and you play and you, it's, you know, 
That's a, I, we got to that part, and I could hear it in my head. Get an A without the leg. And I just started cracking <laughs> up. You know, it really, it's crazy. I mean, here we are. This is essentially the, the last episode of the eighth season of The Kiss Room. And obviously, anybody that's been a fan of The Kiss Room or a listener or followed us at all knows the importance of the May episode of The Kiss Room because that's when Kiss was supposed to play Monko, May 11th, 1974. And I have that poster, you know, Montgomery County Community College Gym, Bluebell, PA. But now nobody's on the campus right now, and it's just, uh, you know, it's kind of driving me crazy. I, I, I will say I love the fact that every morning you share an acoustic song, some kind of music on Facebook that we can all – it's one of the highlights of the day. We can all share it. It's really uh, – it's one of my favorite parts of, you know, it's giving you a little – couple extra minutes every day to maybe share some music, which is nice if we can find anything nice in this whole quarantine dilemma well you know you always find your upside you have to sort of find your upside i'm lucky i can come in i go to work every day and i can come in a little early and i stand there with an acoustic guitar and i play a song right into the camera and then i'm actually in a it's a, a, a facebook group called the quarantine cover club and everyone's real supportive it gives you something to think about um you know i put a song or two on i'm not really a meme share so if i can share a song every now and again i like to do that it stays connected i i, I want to stay connected i um Particularly, you talk about things you do, you know, in the quarantine. So in the house band set coming up, I, I'm actually, I got a little bit of vocal in there. I just want to shout out to Jerry Lee Watkins, who actually sent me in the mail a, a preamp thing that I put on my phone to record those vocals, which I thought was so above and beyond, because here's the thing. I'm going to only be serious for a second, but you sort of see who looks out for you in times like these. And it actually really meant a lot to me that he would, you know, include me. I, it was a big deal. I mean, I could say it's just a big deal because, you know, who reaches out to you at a time? It, it seems like a small gesture, but it's not. It's a big deal to me. So I just want, you know, it, I'm in a little bit of the house band set. I, I'm still not the most uh, gear literate person. <laughs> but I just wanted to say how wonderful that really helped me out at the time. And, and I'm happy to be part of the set. I also know, you know, you say May 11th, if people the regular Kiss Room fans could go back in the, the Kiss Room archives. I know every year we do a set of alive type songs that always is real good. They could go back and listen to that, turn it up real loud, let the neighbors hear the house band playing a set, and that's really good. Kiss Room House Band is an amazing group of musicians and an equally great group of human beings. I have come to know that, and they really do go above and beyond You know everything that I could ever wish for in in friends and in musicians and in people that come to the kiss room it really it does mean a lot i totally agree just the greatest bunch of guys no you know everyone's so nice and that's what you need to be it's the whole point of everything i mean you know we're just lucky enough that we're all friends and and kiss it's what it's at this point what brings it together we're kiss fans but we can all get in the room and you hug each other and you play some songs and you say oh man that was great keeps everybody floating you know so any last words you want to send? And if not, we're going to go into this new song if you want to give it the talk up. Well, this song is called You and the Moon. It'll be on Spotify, or everywhere really, but Spotify for sure. I hope on May 11th. And it's free, so get out there and listen to it. And uh, that's all. I, I just wanted to say hello to everybody. I hope you're doing well. I hope next month we're back in the studio live, playing loud. Uh, that's all I got. You know, love to everybody. Keep, keep care of yourself, all right? That's all I got. So this is kind of not really an exclusive, but kind of an exclusive. This is three core money. You and the moon. 
right here on Monaco Radio, where music and minds meet. We are back. That was Three Chord Money. You can all get that song as soon as it's available. Go to threechordmoney.com. And joining me now, as we head up to the top of the hour, we have Candy Burton all the way in Toronto. Toronto. Candy, how are you? Fantastic. How are you? I am awesome. So now, really, the reason why I wanted you to come on here is Saturdays, you have been joining John Weinberger on Time Bomb Radio 
for something called Candy's Kiss Corner. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So it was kind of funny how it uh, all happened, actually. Um, you actually told me to tune in one day at a time bomb because John was doing uh, Kiss Rock Block. And, uh, I mean, John had no idea he had a listener from Canada. So, you know, John and I got talking later that day, and he thought, you know what? It might be a good idea for you to come on and do your own Kiss Rock Block, right? And um, so, like, the next week or the week after, I can't remember how long it took, but uh, I was already doing uh, shows with him, and he gave me a full hour. Like, how cool is that? It's always been my dream <laughs> to have my own segment on Monco. I mean, to quote Paul Stanley, it's the pinnacle of what you hope for. So, I mean, I couldn't be happier right now. So everybody really needs to just know to tune in Saturdays. Time Bomb Radio comes on Monco Radio at 9 a.m., the Candy's Kiss Corner usually hits around 10 a.m. It's an hour of Kiss. You talk up the songs. It's a fun way to start a Saturday, so I'm really enjoying it. I'm hoping everybody will tune in. Absolutely. I hope everyone tunes in as well. And, uh, you know, I'm always happy to take requests as well. Like, if anyone wants to hear their favorite song, by all means, shoot me a message. I'd be happy to play it, give you guys a shout-out. Um, you know, and with all of this nonsense going on right now, it's, uh, you know, it's something that I really enjoy. It keeps me happy and it brings me joy to know that it makes other people happy as well. So, so everybody tune in Saturdays starting at nine, tune in around no later than 10. Of course, you're listening to Monco radio where music and minds meet. allowed to smoke in the kiss room hi everybody it's gene simmons you're listening to the kiss room on montco radio but you knew that you wanted the best and you got it the hottest man in the land matt porter Well, another month has gone by and not much has changed. The college is still closed and the Kiss Room house band is recording at home. Last month we did a bunch of songs relating to the situation. We're not going to do that this month except for the first song. This song goes out to all the essential workers, especially those in healthcare. When I was recording this, I found out a family member tested positive for COVID-19. Bridget, this is for you and all the heroes out there. Don't 
to be It's no place for me All right, now it's time to play songs you want to hear. Last month, Matt did a poll on Facebook to see what songs you want us to play. We were going to do the top three, but only you came in four, and we made an executive decision to do it. i 
Number two on the list is Mr. Speed. Hey guys out there, if you're home quarantined with your girl, there's no need to take it fast. You got all the time in the world. the number one song you wanted the house band to do is It's My Life. I don't know about you, but I can't believe this was never on an official album, and it took the box set for us to finally hear it.
I remember watching MTV Unplugged, and when Paul Stanley said, we're going to bring out some members of the family, and Ace and Peter came out and jammed with the current band, it was so awesome. Like Kiss, the Kiss from House band has gone through a few changes, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool, since we're recording at home, to have as many members of the family on the recording as we could. So here's Nothing to Lose. That was fun. 
That was the first time we had me, Jeffrey D. Watkins, Steve Campania, Steve Farris, Anthony Porter, and Jim Zago all in one recording. Well, that wraps up another virtual set from the Kiss Room House Band. And uh, will we be doing this again next month? Only time will tell. See ya. That's right. Only time will tell. Thanks, Fran. Thanks to the amazing Kiss Room House Band delivering another great set, even remotely. Uh, The next time we're scheduled to be live with the Kiss Room is June 12th. It'll be the start of the ninth season of the Kiss Room. Will we be in the studio? I would love to think we would be. Who knows? Stay tuned for that. Um, Everybody's been doing a great job, even remotely. And right now I'm going to go remotely to a conference call between myself, Tony Mann, who if you listen to the Kiss Room, you know Tony from the Lost Rockers. You know him from Stephen Blush podcast. It's called The Art of the Interview that they do. And we're also talking with Bobby McAdams, which a lot of you Kiss fans know as a co-author on the Kiss and Tell books with Gordon Gebert. And he is a lifelong friend of Ace Frehley. So we're going to join these guys right now. Guys, welcome to the Kiss Room. Hi, Matt. Hey, Matt. It's crazy, uh, you know, I'm so used to doing everything in the studio, so that when we're apart like this, it's very weird. I'm not, I've done more Skype calling and phone calling and Teams calling and Zooms calling than I ever would have liked to have done in my life, but how are you guys doing? Great. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, just two of my favorite guys on the phone right now, so it's really <laughs> good to talk to both of you right now. Excellent. Great, Tony. Thank you. So this is a blast. I mean, obviously, uh, the one thing we're going we're gonna to work up to in the interview is that you guys have done a new recording of a Fleetwood Mac cover. Um, so it's a great thing you're getting to do some music here in these good times. Uh, but really, we want to just talk about all the fun things. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some Kiss because, of course, we're here in the Kiss room. Um, Bobby, I'm going to shift gears on to you. A lot of people do know you from your work, you know, writing about Ace or being a longtime friend of Ace. Uh, I think it's even one of your claims to fame is that you had given the ad from the Village Voice from Paul, Gene, and Peter. You gave that to Ace. Is that true? Yeah. It was uh, the Village Voice from New York City. And um, uh, it it was, uh, at that time, you had to pay for it. And then it eventually became like a free magazine. So I bought it, and um, I happened to go to Ace's house, and I completely forgot it. And if I didn't leave it there, he would have never saw the ad. And uh, so it was really great that I did for him, you know. So that's absolutely cosmic. I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, with the chance, like, had he not seen that, who knows what could have happened. I mean, and that's as well, you know, you were one of the, or maybe the first person that was ever hired by KISS. Is that true? No, I was the first person. Lydia actually, Lydia Chris actually kept tabs on. She could even tell me how much I made. I can't remember, but yeah, I was the first person. <laughs> Lydia's amazing. Day, and uh, I think Ace was playing like an ovation at the time, an ovation electric, which is really strange. But yeah, and they loved him. And uh, I was there and it was like, you know, I was the, his best friend, so, you know, they hired me as a sound man. And that's when they were playing little places out in Amityville, Long Island, the Daisy. And I was doing sound for Kiss. I remember one night some girl came up and she goes, wow, you played keyboards really good. She thought the sound boy was a keyboards. Hopefully she was really cute. Kiss doesn't have keyboards. Anyone knows that, you know, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> and this is in the days when um, Gene, everyone said things I was a roadie. I was never a roadie, okay? And um, the only time I was was when they were too. So after the show, Gene, Paul, Stanley, and myself, not Peter or Ace, they didn't do anything. Ace didn't do anything. And Gene always <laughs> talked about hey, Ace was so lazy, you know? But he did that even before he was in Kiss. He always knew someone. He knew this guy that had a van, so he became friends with him. And he knew the setting. He was a big dude. So even back before he was in Kiss, people still always carried his equipment. Everyone knows they didn't do that, but it's pretty <laughs> funny, actually. And they used to open up the Twisted Sister at the uh, Amityville, at the Daisy. Twisted Sister was the headlining band. And before so that, talk about some of those days. I mean, that had to be an amazing vantage point for you at that kind of time. Oh, yeah. It's like sometimes I didn't realize it until I look back on it now. At the time, you know, I don't know. But um, the first gig they really did in New York City was uh, at the Diplomat Hotel. It was on 43rd Street between um, 7th and 8th. And uh, the Brats were headlining. The Brats were really big. It's a band out of New York City. They were huge, man. And uh, so Kiss actually opened up for the Brats. And the other band on the bill was the Planets. It was that guy, Binky, Tony, right? Yeah, Binky Phillips. That's right. Right. They did a, re- they did a cover of uh, Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Were Made for Walking. It was great. It was really great. And uh, I wish I had a recording of it. It was so good. I remember it in my head, though. It was really good. So. One of those shows you were, like, on the door or something, Bobby? What's that? You were on the door for one of those shows? Oh, yeah. I did the door that night. It was me and uh, Keith West, Dominic. His, his father was with me, and he was watching over me, and Dom made fun of that because he's... <laughs> but, yeah, it was, I was kept collecting the money. It was only $3.50 to get in. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's ridiculous when you think back on that, how cheap it was. And, <laughs> yep. And some of the best shows pants, I've ever you know? seen were under, under 10 bucks. some of the best shows I ever saw. Oh, yeah, Totally. And, you know, that's when the Brats would play in the 82 Club a lot, and that eventually became um, Ronnie Wood's place. They called it Woody's. And that's right. when Jane that County was, a cool was there, place. and Suicide opened up for the Brats, and uh, the Brats were a really big band. They were a big but, band, uh, then, yeah. The Kiss was really great back then. It was like the, the energy was so intense, you know? You know, they, they had such great songs. Like, knowing that Firehouse is always my favorite song that they did, and... Um, you know, so ask away. Ask me any questions you want. So, anyway. Well, I mean, thinking back to those days, I mean, obviously they were just starting. I mean, and you got to see it from the ground up. What are some of your first memories of hearing the band jam together? I mean, you know, were you at that original audition where Ace no, went and auditioned for the band? Oh, he, so talk about that. I mean, that's got to be, there had to only be a handful of people that witnessed to, to that. Speak on that. Yeah, well, um, the, the actual day of the uh, audition, Ace says in his book that his mother took him. Uh, I'm not going to debate that. I thought I did, but I'm not going to argue the facts, though. <laughs> All right, if I wasn't there for that day, I was there the very next day. And it was on um, 23rd Street, above this really popular uh, bar called Live Bait. It was a loft on the second or third floor. And um, it was great. And it's like, yeah, it was, they didn't even have a name yet. They weren't called Kiss yet. And after numerous rehearsals and 
after they realized that Ace was going to be the guitar player and Peter was a drummer, well, Peter was there already, so they were in a band called Wicked Lester, and they certainly weren't going to keep that name. But, um, so what happened was a couple of months went by, and they were rehearsing a lot, and Gene and Paul said, we've got to come up with a name. So they came up with these ridiculous names. So Gene had a top hat, and he put each of us wrote a name on the paper, and we folded it and put it in the hat. And Gene said, whatever name I pick is going to be what we go. We're not even debating it. So we picked it, and the first thing was Gene came up with the idea of Kiss. And the reason he wanted to use Kiss was he said, everyone, everyone says the word Kiss at least once a day, like Kiss My Mother, Kiss the Dog. And he was really brilliant to come up with that. So it was already a household name, Kiss. And they just related it to the band. And Ace came up with the logo. It was a really nice logo. And, uh, yeah, so that's how they got the name. We just picked it out of a hat. And back then, they, they didn't have the, the actual uh, makeup that they use now. It was all like, like all the bands, like Alice Cooper dressed in drag and the dolls and all that stuff. And so Gina had silver hair, and Ace looked like Shirley MacLaine. It was really crazy, you know. <laughs> but, you saw the original picture I'm talking about, right, Tony? Absolutely. We've all seen that one, yeah. I always thought Bob Gruen took that picture. He may have. I don't know. Um, but yeah, nobody seems to know who actually took that photo, Bobby. I always thought almost maybe you you took it, but you said you didn't take well, it. I thought I did too, but, you know, then again, you know, you forget a lot of things so many years ago. If it was Bob Gruen's, the only two people was or Ken D'Alessio. I don't remember who did it, but whoever did it would have had photo credits on it. Like Len D'Alessio puts all his, his name on all his pictures. Yeah, I don't but think anyways, it's, it's a great picture. Bobby, is it possible you took that photo because no yeah, one's really taking possible. credit? Yeah. It is possible. I can't prove it. And um, But I just remember, like, so many things back then. Oh, my God. Um, Gene has silver hair, and he's got red lipstick on. Paul Stanley, <laughs> yep. they look really good. Paul Stanley looks good. And um, Ace, everyone thinks he looks like Shirley McLean. And he's got snakeskin <laughs> pants on him. I'm looking at the picture right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's really a great picture. Now, if they didn't come up with the kiss makeup, even doing that would have been fine, you know? Yeah, Peter looks like he's in Godspell or something with that kind of makeup on. Yeah, he looks like he looks like he has a mask on, actually. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Bobby actually said, Bobby actually did hand claps on the recording of Nothing to Lose. Is one of the yeah, many things he's been on. on. I played guitar in New York group, not guitar, but the power mouth with the tube. Yeah, it's like a talk box, box kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. On New York Groove, on the on the actual recording that's on the album. Yeah, yep. yeah. He he's credited actually, on it too. I actually that's got a fantastic. Album from the record company. Not only that, he's the foot stomps that you hear on New York Groove. That is only Bobby stomping on a wood oh, wow. platform. <laughs> you know, at the time this is all happened, you don't realize the depth of the whole thing. It's just like you know another day for me. But now looking back on it, it was pretty impressive, you know. I mean, not, that not is impressive. That. And I took it for granted because you know, only things were happening back then. You don't realize twenty years later people are going to be talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Forty me, years later. Almost fifty, right? It's crazy. Yeah, they had a they they wanted to use the power mouth, which is like a talk box, like Peter Frampton used. Yeah, like Harris did that on Sweet Emotion, right? Yeah, and I guess Ace didn't get it together, and I just told yeah, Bobby just, to do it. He couldn't get it. He goes, you do it. I said, okay, I'll do it. And, you know, <laughs> just a cake, really. 
And like I said, mm. the, album, the uh, record company gave me a platinum album for that. So, um, so you hear Bobby in every stadium all over the place every day <laughs> whenever there's Seriously. events. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I heard that Ace was – well, they had nothing to do with Ace. Every time the New York Giants would play, they would play New York Roof. And also at any Yankee game, they'd always play because – it's like it's like uh, center field by John Fogarty. It's like you know you're gonna hear that at every baseball game. <laughs> any New, any New York event, they play it. Hockey, right, everything, right. everything, concerts, everything. So I mean, even just thinking about that time, I mean, there had to be some really crazy things. Some of it are detailed in your book. Um, obviously, what are some of the other things that come to your mind? Maybe the crazier times. Did you travel with the band? They talk about oh, yeah, traveling kind of uh, everywhere. Just the greatest thing was meeting certain people on the road. Like, I remember one day Billy Gibbons came up to Ace's hotel room. He wanted to jam, and Ace was in no shape to really do that. But just got to meet so many cool people. Like, Gene was dating Cher, so I met Cher. And Gene was starting to date Diana Ross. And we were at the Cow Palace in uh, San Francisco. And he asked me if I would cut Diana Ross's hair. And so I did. And I'm, I was waiting for someone to give me a few bucks. And I guess Gene figured because I'm on salary that I shouldn't be getting paid for the heck. And I guess he was right, but it was an experience <laughs> because as she was leaving... She was leaving the place to go about her business. Ace didn't realize she was still there. So he gets on the microphone and he goes, she forgot her spears. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, and Gene ripped the Oh, that's bad. You know? It was pretty, it was funny. At the time, it, it really kind of wasn't funny, but it's funny now because it's so Ace, it's ridiculous, you know. It's like something he definitely would do, you know. <laughs> now, how did how did you get into cutting hair? I know at some point you were cutting um, hair for the guys with the WWF. Oh yeah, yeah. What happened was I was watching that movie with Warren Beatty called Shampoo. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Sure. The next day I went to hairdressing school because I, I I wore the same clothes he did That's in the dungaree jacket with the scarf, and I didn't have really super long hair yet. I had that same. It was like. Everything that Warren Beatty did in that movie became real to me in my life. You know, most guys that play guitar say they, they played so they can meet girls. That was never my problem. So I went to hairdressing school because I liked to cut hair. And um, I was always into hair, you know. And uh, that's how I went. And uh, I remember when I was in hairdressing school, I think it was like a week later after I started school, Paul Stanley enrolled his girlfriend at the time. Um, and... It was really funny. I'm in class, and I had really long hair at the time. It was so everyone else, there was no one in the school like me. And I remember Paul Stanley, they, they were showing him, you know, what the school was all about. And he's looking at me. I'm in class, and he's just nodding at me. It was really funny, you know. <laughs> but in the beginning, it's like really, I don't know what happened. I guess I was always guilty through association because of what Ace did. They expected I'd be like just like him. So um, he would do these crazy things. And years later, I'd bump into people that worked for Kiss and whatever they did and say, you know what, you're not a bad guy. So what are you talking about? They said, we always thought you were an asshole, like Case. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the suits, the suits, okay? Like sure. uh, if Ace told me, I'd have to hear, I mean, I was with, always with Ace. I mean, if, if, if you cut Ace, I would bleed. And, <laughs> It was crazy, you know. He did some crazy things, you know. And 
it, it took a while before the whole thing settled in because in the early days, I was hanging out with Gene. I went to Gene's house. I met his mother. I would even sleep over Paul Stanley's house. And, you know, later on, it's like the, the, the things got so bad towards the end that it's like, you know, no one really acknowledged that, you know. But um, it was great. What point, you know, was, like what got bad? I mean, and, and I mean, in what years are you talking? So you saw the absolute birth of the band through like about what time? I mean, you know, like what? I when did fun. you really like? I think they got signed in 1973 with Casablanca. Yep. Right. So before that, um, they were just like I said, they would play in clubs and stuff, and only a couple. One in Queens. What was the one in Queens, Tony? Coventry. Right, the Coventry, and um, yeah, it was it was. It was very exciting. I don't even know, you know, it was crazy. It went so fast when you think about it. And then he got married. I was his best man. He got married at the uh, Americana Hotel. And there used to be this character that Tony knows the guy I'm talking about. It looked like he had shoe polish in his hand. He had played drum beats and said, <laughs> yeah. oh, this was Gene Krupa, 1944. Was like, he was out in front of the place as the wedding was going on. And at the wedding, my parents came... They invited, Paul invited my parents, Ace. I call him Paul. And um, they all jammed. It's like, and I have some pictures of that with Gene, like in a T-shirt with his Fender bass at the time. And uh, great. it was great, you know? The guy he's referring to, his name was Gene Palma. You can see him in the movie Taxi Driver oh, playing drums. Right? He's in Taxi Driver, right. Yeah, he really? was like a street, street entertainer. Yeah, you see him in Taxi Driver. He's like a real New York character. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And you knew yeah. he passed away because you didn't see him anymore. But you That's know, right. That's right. That's when all the guitar stores were on 48th Street. And not even, there's not even one of them left. So it had to be like 10 to 12 guitar stores. Yeah, there was a whole block. Blocks of guitar stores. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, and, and uh, you guys were best men at each other's weddings. Yeah, I was Ace's best man. He was my best man. And it's funny because we both had brothers. And usually the tradition goes you have your brother as your best man because he had me, my brother. But we had nothing in common, so kind of broke the rules when I had Ace as my best man. And Ace has a brother, Charlie, he's a classic guitar player, and he didn't have his brother either, so we kind of got flack from that from our families, you know, but it was great. And I'm trying to think what else here. Um, it was just great, the meeting all the people. I remember at the time, I think we were in San Francisco, and Gene was looking for an opening act. So the police came, and they rented a, a, a bar that was closed for business, and it, they rented it for the day, and the, the three guys came, you know, Sting and the other two guys, and they played Roxanne for Gene. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but the, the headlining band pays for the opening act. It's not the promoter or anything. They pay. And I think that uh, the police wanted 2000 for the night, and Gene said that's too much money. So I, I think they started using Cheap Trick. Mm -hmm. I thought Alice Cooper was one of the opening bands, and I was corrected by Dennis Dunaway's wife the other day. Right, Tony? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, you were. You wow. Know. I said, Alice Cooper opened up for Kiss, and she goes, you're wrong. They never opened for Kiss. I wasn't going to argue with her, you know? She's, she's correct. Keep <laughs> Trick. And I think Keep once they did, had Van Halen sure. open up the show, and that's something you don't want to do. They'll blow you away, you know? But you were there when they, when they first, you were one of the first guys around when they were, meeting with Van Halen, right? With yeah, what happened was we were in a studio in Manhattan rehearsing, and we were in a place called SIR, which is really a famous, the Stones rehearsed there, Clapton, everybody. And it was a Studio A, Studio B, and C, and uh, 
Kiss was in one room. So Ace told me to go see Big John and get some money out of petty cash and go buy some champagne. And I did. And as I'm walking out, I hear this band in that room, and I went in there to listen, and it was Van Halen. And they go, who are you? I said, I'm with Kiss. And as soon as I said that, I was like, yeah, you could stay. And <laughs> I never went out to get the champagne. I went back in the room, and I'm going with my chin and my neck, making tell Gene, cut it, stop. And that was one thing you didn't do. You didn't interrupt them. I said, your opening band is right next door. And Gene went in there. I think they got a record deal within a week. And, uh, wow. Eddie Van Halen and his brother, they didn't even thank me. David Lee Roth thanked me a million times. He was hugging and kissing me. And, you know, Eddie and his brother, the drummer, they were, like, really arrogant. They really, you know, I put a bad taste in my mouth that they didn't at least thank me for that, you know. They didn't acknowledge that it happened that way. Huh. That's yeah. not how people recall it, yeah. <laughs> and I heard from other people, too. They always said that Eddie was a... An a-hole, but his brother was even worse. <laughs> Anthony, the drummer, very arrogant. You know? <laughs> Alex Van Halen, yeah. yeah. You know, switching gears for a second, as you were mentioning that story, you talked about talking with Big John Hart. Tell me, I know you're working on that book. Can you give us any insight on the progress of the book? Oh yeah, gosh, I've done about a hundred interviews, uh, and now we've been um, transcribing them all, starting to write up the chapters, and starting to get into it for real. We got to find a lot of amazing rare photos. Um, That's great. You know, we have some really cool people involved. I've interviewed everybody you can imagine and more. And what, Bobby as well. Bobby was interviewed for the, for the book as well. Yeah, it's funny because well, it, it made me think about that. As you mentioned it, he was a character in your story. And there you have somebody who obviously Tony's writing that book. So it's a really, it's funny how you have this cast of characters that is so familiar. And like you said, it's people remembering stories that are 40-something years old, and, yeah, you know, who time. was there, and that's great. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and these guys that these guys at the time were just doing their job. They weren't, like, oh, all impressed with everybody. These guys, you know, Bobby was, a, you know, like a teenage friend of Aces. They're both from the Bronx, and so is Mike Golden, who we did the recording with. And, yeah, um, and, guy, yeah. and, uh, and Big John, same thing. These guys were doing their jobs. And fans will come up and say, wow, have you ever seen the guys without their makeup? And they're like, no, never, you know, come on. You know. So, <laughs> but mean, these guys are doing their sure. jobs. And now, like 50 years later, you've got to try to recall every little detail. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> the fans know more than the actual guy that was there. This is crazy. <laughs> it is. It's at, least, at least 50 years ago, right? It's hard to remember every detail, you know. It's, it's, now, it's one, of your first, one of your first jobs was you were actually running sound for KISS. How did you get any sound. training in that? Oh, it, back then the, the soundboards were primitive as the, compared to today. To do sound for a band like that now, you'd have to go to college and learn all this stuff, you know, or go to some place that teaches you that. It was the old ones with little knobs. It was really like a portable thing. and It was like a cheap one. But it, it did work. You know, I did sound for the Bratz as well. And, um, yeah, compared to, like I said, the stuff they have now, you know, they could, they could punch in a lead riff or a certain sound specific to a certain song without even, they'll do it beforehand and it just happens, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was intense, man. And I remember the pyro guys that made the flames and stuff. And, uh, I remember one night Gene's hair caught on fire on, on stage and I had a, I was always on the side with a wet towel and that's exactly what I did. I had to put, the hair was on fire. And I don't know how, you know, he, for years he uses 
kerosene mixture with something. I think it puts honey in there or something. And because other bands have tried that, and they use lighter fluid, and it's so thin it comes right back in their face. Gene was telling me the story about that. And uh, he was so consistent with it. He was really a pro at doing that, you know. But I always thought that down the road somewhere it was going to affect his health putting that stuff in his mouth for years, you know, and he still does it, so. It's amazing. And then you you brought in Eddie, Eddie Solon after Oh, yeah, Eddie Bobby? Solon and I, we had a, a recording slash rehearsal studio in the Bronx called Backstreet Studios. Everybody knows about it. And um, I used to rehearse there with my band at the time, and Ace has been there a thousand times. We had a Halloween party there. But Eddie, that was his thing, so I, I passed it on to him because I couldn't really do it. It wasn't. That was Eddie's thing, you know. So most of the time when I was on the road, like I said, everyone says you're a roadie. I was never a roadie, except in the beginning when we all were roadies, except for Ace. My job was to face the car when broke a string. I had to retune it. And this is in the days when they didn't have these tuners and stuff. It was pretty hard, you know, because I was behind the martial lamps. It was dark as anything. I'm really surprised. I never wore earplugs, ever. And I know so many people that have problems hearing. I used to just lean against the martial stacks. For some reason, I'm really lucky that way. It didn't affect my hearing at all, you know? Great. Yeah. You know, one thing, uh, you were there when Peter Chris left the band and they were doing drummer auditions. I think you were even recording them. Talk on that. Yeah, well, when Ace was doing his solo album, we did most recording at the Plaza Sound, which is across the street from Radio City. But then Ace rented, it was an empty mansion, the people at the Colgate Hairs. So it was like about a 30-room mansion. Oh, and, the Colgate, uh, say, yeah. Yeah, the Colgate place. And uh, it was really nice. I remember Big John, the picture up on He was on the balcony with a shotgun in his hand. It was so funny. <laughs> but um, Anton came. It was the first time I met Anton Fig. And I don't, I don't think Ace had met him yet either. It was the first time we ever met him. And Anton was all tired from whatever, he, before he came there to trip. So he was taking a nap on the couch. And um, me and Ace were above like a balcony. And he was snoring, so we, we dropped popcorn in his mouth as he was snoring. <laughs> and, you know, he, he really didn't know what he was in for by hanging out with me and Ace, you know, because he's kind of like that guy. <laughs> he was such a good guy. He's such a great drummer, you know. He really is good. But it's, it's funny. They, they, they told him he was going to be in the band. He was in the band, and they had to call right. back and tell him he wasn't. And then they had the auditions. And, Bobby, what he's asking you about at the auditions, when you were there videotaping and when Eric Carr and other people oh, yeah, auditioned? Yeah, yeah, When they were auditioning drummers at the Peter left, there were so many people that came. I don't even remember, I think, Carmine Apice. Mm -hmm. Bobby Rondinelli. Right Bobby Rondinelli. Right. And anyway, so there was a lot of drummers. And they couldn't keep track of it in their head, so they wanted to videotape us. So Gene says, I want you to videotape, which I did. And I remember just by looking at their facial expressions, after Eric Carr played, his real name is Paul Caravello, and they didn't want another Paul in the band, Paul Fraley, Paul Stanley, Paul Drummond, no. So they gave him a name. They changed his name for him, whether he liked it or not, you know. Eric, actually, Eric Carr is a pretty cool name, really. Yep. So I saw the facial expressions that Gene was communicating with Paul Stanley, like, yeah, this is our guy. And so I helped him out. And I said, listen, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I think you're in the band. And he was freaking out. Freaked out. Wow. I remember his interviews on YouTube. You could hear it. Uh, Paul Stanley was telling a story about Eric Carr. 
after he was in the band for a couple of years, however long it was before he died, and um, Paul Stanley, he started crying, like real tears, and he goes, what's the matter with you? And he goes, I'll never be known as the original drummer in Kiss. Like, so what, you know? I think people yeah. would be more impressed knowing you replaced Peter, you know? Yeah, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, and I was got friendly with Eric, and he did, he did think about that, and he did feel bad. He wasn't like Ringo to the Beatles or Peter Chris to Kiss. He wasn't the original guy. But I'm like, look, millions of people love you. You're a great That's musician. Right. You know, just kick ass. Don't even worry about it. He was such a nice guy. And no, uh, it's a tragic, tragic loss of that dude. And uh, um, I'll never forget, there's a picture of Bobby doing oh, Eric Carr's hair. Magazine, right? And it says, uh, Bob McMahon does Eric Carr's hair. They don't even have his <laughs> name right. <laughs> the girl was asking me my name. I said, Bobby McAdams. And she's how much people pay attention. I finally make it in the magazines, and she spoke when it makes big man, but it's okay. It's a good picture there. Oh, so sometimes when people don't believe when I tell them stories, and they when they see the picture, they automatically believe, you know. Oh, uh, so oh, talking sorry, about McMahon, I'm thinking about the other McMahon and the WWF. Vince McMahon, and when you did like Andre the Giant's hair and people like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. I was I was cutting hair. My first job in this White Plains, which is like a really ritzy section of Westchester, and uh, this woman came in. Her name was Betty Scola, and she was a regular customer with my boss. And they'd put pink water. If she's getting under the hair dryer, she'd ask me a favor one day. She goes, "Bobby, I need a favor." I said, "Whatever you want, just ask." Her name was Betty Scola. Her husband okay. was the manager of Bob Backlund at the time. Was the heavyweight champion, Bruno Sammartino. All right. Years and years ago. So she goes, I said, what do you need? She goes, I want you to come to the house. She goes, Andre wants to, you to cut his hair because he can't go to hair salons because he don't fit in the chairs. He's so big. So I went and I cut Amazing. Andre that giant's hair. And after that, she sent me down to the place. It was a few blocks from Madison Square Garden. There was a Howard Johnson's motor in. It was a really dumpy place that they put the wrestlers in. I got to cut Brutus the Barber beefcake, beefcake uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Roddy Roddy Piper, and it was great because it was great. That's all I could tell you. I was making really good money doing that. But Andre, you said he had to sit on a milk crate or something. Oh, he was yeah. too big. Right? <laughs> there was no chance that he could fit in, and he was even if he did, I would, would never have been able to cut his hair. So he sat on one of those milk boxes in the garage, and even then his head came up to my chin. Okay, even past it, he was so big. I think it was seven foot four. Amazing. Yeah, when he shook That's my incredible. hand, his, his hand came all the way almost up my forearm. And, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and he could have... All of a sudden, my hand disappears, right? Yeah, well, so what happened is Bobby and I have been getting to be pretty close friends. And on a yeah. recent trip to New York, before all this virus hocus pocus, he came by and he cut my hair. And um, I knew he had uh, recorded this Fleetwood Mac song with uh, his friend Mike, Mike Golden, who's a, who's a great guitar player from the Bronx and uh, another another childhood friend of Ace and Bobby. Yeah, he knew Ace and right. And uh, Mike Golden is it, it, where he lives, like, he's like known as a great musician. And yeah, um, he's, he's, so they, they gave, they, they did a recording of the song and uh, when he sent it to me, you know, I 
there wasn't any drums on it, like on the original. So I offered to put some so drums and mix it, right? it and um, it came out really cool. So it was a kind of a honor to play with these guys. They both play great and they're cool people. And, you know, it's, uh, it's really neat that, you know, you're able to premiere the song on the Kiss Room. It's really fun. So we are going to call this the world premiere of your cover of Albatross's Fleetwood Mac cover right here in the Kiss Room on Mako Radio where music and minds meet. Kiss Army, I want to thank Bobby McAdams and Tony Mann for calling in, sharing some fun times with us, and letting us share that. That's Albatross. It's a cover of the original Fleetwood Mac. I want to thank everybody who listened today. I want to thank Andrew Scambatti for calling in and talking about One Last Time, where we can follow his Kiss fan journey. That'll be available on YouTube and Vimeo. 
I want to thank Anthony Porter, who shared the new Three Chord Money song, You and the Moon. You can go to threechordmoney.com. That'll be available on all the digital platforms. I want to thank Candy Burton for calling in. Of course, you should all tune in Saturdays to Mako Radio around 10 o'clock. Uh, the, of course, uh, Time Bomb Radio starts at 9 o'clock. Candy's Kiss Corner comes on around 10 o'clock. Generally, on a Saturday, you can tune in for that. Great fun. Obviously, like if you're listening to the Kiss Room Live on Mako Radio, you know exactly how to tune in for Time Bomb Radio. I must thank the awesome Kiss Room house band. Every month they have delivered. You can tell that obviously if they're recording remote, it's even tougher because we can't all get in the room. But I desperately, I can't wait till we're all back in the same room. As we were talking earlier, the next scheduled Kiss Room would be June 12th. We're out of time for today, and I never even got to shout-outs. There was other music I wanted to play. There's so many things that could always go on, but I had the best time with all of you. Hopefully you did, too. Join us again next month here in the Kiss Room. Thanks for listening. You're tuned in to Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. You know, a lot of bands like to brag about their fans. Now, naturally, you better believe we brag about you, but we want you to know something. We want you to know, we know that you are our fans, but don't you ever forget, we are your fans! We love you! Thank you for listening to The Kiss Room. Stay tuned to Montco Radio. Any last minute crazy things you want to say to conform with expectations? No, but I will say something to anybody out there that's you know, the weird guy or the weird girl that always has the weird things that they do that their friends put them down for. Don't think it's so weird. Maybe someday somebody lets you give you the chance to make a living out of it. You just stick to it. You'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs>